All right. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Grace Bible Church. If you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point in time. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, there should be a few Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, you'll be needing that today. We'll have lots of things on the screen, but we won't have the text. So uh, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin a brand new series. We'll be in it about eight weeks, and uh, the series is called Christians Gone Wild. Christians Gone Wild. It's a, it's a series taking a very quick look through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, there are 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we'll be doing it in eight weeks. So you can do the simple math. We'll be taking it very quickly. Uh, so uh, I'll be counting on you to kind of read through uh, sections of 1 Corinthians during the week, and then we'll cover it uh, as we gather together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we are going to be at the very beginning. I will join you in getting there, and uh, then we'll pray. And we'll jump right into this introductory sermon on the book of 1 Corinthians, an overview called The Church in the City. Church in the City. So I trust that you're there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I trust that you're there. And if you're not, you can get there as we pray. So let's do that. Let's uh, pray one more time. And uh, then we'll get started uh, here on this text. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me one more time. Father, we do thank you for the morning. Thank you for the great privilege that it is to gather together. Uh, Thank you uh, that we can hear from... Uh, those missionaries who have served you for 30 years in the same country. That is an amazing thing. And we rejoice in Tom and in Susan in the faithful and fruitful ministry that they've had there um, as they are examples to us and really examples uh, of your faithfulness and your goodness uh, that through the steady plotting of faithful Bible teachers and preachers and missionaries, your gospel goes forth and you change people's lives. And we're very grateful for that. Father, thank you that we can always uh, also come and sing to you with our hearts. May you be well pleased with our worship. May you be well pleased with our generosity to you. All things that we have, everything sitting in our bank account, every uh, shirt that we have in our closet or on our back, every uh, nail uh, that is in our house belongs to you. Everything belongs to you. And so we give to you and to others freely because you have so generously given to us. Father, I pray in particular for uh, this morning, and for this sermon series, that you would open up our eyes to what is in 1 Corinthians, that you would help us to see how we are, uh, maybe here in America, very much like this church, and may you you encourage us, may you teach us, may you rebuke us, and may you help us to become the people of God that you want us to be, Uh, and it's in the name of Jesus, the name of our God, the name of our Lord, and the name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, I don't know if you have uh, ever watched this show. In fact, I kind of actually hope that you haven't, but maybe you have. Uh, There was a show that began in 1998, and uh, it ended, I believe, in 2004, and it was a show on HBO. Uh, You've probably heard of it. They aired a wildly popular show, a sitcom, centered on the uh, sex lives of four best friends in New York City. Anybody want to take a guess at what that uh, sitcom was called? Sex in the City, right? Um, it was a wildly popular show. It, it essentially had storylines that tackled, and in my humble opinion, promoted uh, modern cultural issues such as sexuality, safe sex, promiscuity, uh, femininity, and more. Uh, in my brief watching of it, um, it seemed to me to be very 
uh, very secular, uh, very much uh, worldly, very, uh, very sinful in, in a lot of ways. And it promoted, uh, let's just say, a, a sexuality that was less than biblical. Um, however, when I began to study and think through this upcoming sermon series on 1 Corinthians, for some reason this show, Sex in the City, came to my mind because I, I began to think, what if, what if the HBO decided to do a, a recreation of the church that lived in the city of Corinth some, two, some 2,000 years ago? What would, what would that sitcom look like? What would happen? What would those believers be doing? And uh, unfortunately, I think it would look very much like Sex in the city, <laughs> because what we see in the book of 1 Corinthians is a bunch of uh, Christians, essentially, who have, well, gone wild. Uh, they are living it up. They're living according to the world. They're being influenced by the culture. And uh, it would look very much like, unfortunately, this wildly popular sitcom. So what is 1 Corinthians all about? That's really what we're going to talk about this morning in the few minutes that we have remaining. What is the main point of 1 Corinthians? Well, Dr. Thomas Constable suggests, and I think he's right, that 1 Corinthians is essentially a little letter written from the Apostle Paul to this church in the city of Corinth, and it is about how the culture of the city The culture of the city of Corinth has influenced and infiltrated the church and how that pagan culture was slowly but surely seeping its way, sinking its venomous teeth into the church that was there in Corinth. And so uh, I've entitled this sermon series, The Church and the City. The Church and the City. Uh, Dr. Constable, uh, he says this. He suggests that the main theme... Really, the two main themes of the book is the city and the church. The city of Corinth and the church that lived in the city of Corinth. This is what he has to say. A phrase in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, uh, verse 2, suggests that the theme of this great epistle is this. The church of God, which is at Corinth. These two entities are in, two entities are in view in this phrase. Let's move on to the next slide. Two entities are in view in this phrase. And these are the two entities which the whole epistle deals with. They are the church of God and the city of Corinth. Now, the church of God is a community of people who share the life of God, are under the governing will of God, and cooperate in the work of God. However, the city of Corinth was ignorant of the life of God. It was governed by self-will and was antagonistic to the purposes of God. These two entities, the church and the city, stand, uh, stand in vivid contrast to one another and account for the conflict that we see in this epistle. He continues and he says this, The city was going in an opposite direction from the direction that God had called the church to go. The local, hear this, the local culture always impacts the local church. Let me say that again. The local culture always impacts the local church. One of the central revelations of this epistle, then, is that the church fails to fulfill her function in the city, that is, her culture, when the spirit of the city invades her. The church fails when it adopts the ideas and activities of its environment rather than those revealed for it in the Word of God. So what is the book of 1 Corinthians all about? Well, it's about the church, and it's about the city. Okay, And it's about how those two things interact, the church and the city. So what we're going to do for this sermon is essentially do it in two parts. First of all, we're going to look at the city. What do we know historically about the city of Corinth 
and uh, its features, and then we're going to take a look at the church. How has, in a summary overview kind of way, how has the culture of the corrupt, sinful, pagan culture of Corinth, how has it affected, how did it affect the church? So first of all, let's take a look at the city, the city of Corinth. And when you read about the city of Corinth and its culture, really four things stand out. So jot these four things down. Wealth, independence, what I would call culture, and then number four, immorality. So let's take a look briefly at these four things. The first thing that stands out about this city called Corinth was that it was wealthy. And as we're going through these, think about our culture. And think about maybe some of the similarities. So number one, this was a very wealthy culture. Uh, I want to show you a map, and so let's, let's go to that map. What you find out is that this city of Corinth was located just southwest of a land bridge known as an isthmus, for those of you geography buffs, uh, between northern and southern Greece. So you see it here on the map, right? Oh, let's go back, if we can. There's Corinth, right? Uh, you have northern Greece, and you have southern Greece, and what really made the wealth, what drove uh, the culture, essentially, of this city, what made it prosperous was its location. And so there were trade routes from the, from the northern Greece to southern Greece, and so trade had to go through that little isthmus from the north to the south, right? So people were coming, going through the city all the time. Uh, but also there was trade from the east and the west. If you look at the map, notice, to the east, what's, what is there? Water. And to the west, what is there? Water. And so there were two port cities very, very close to this little city. And so you had trade coming in from the west. You had trade coming in from the east. You had trade routes coming in from the north. Trade routes coming in from the south. And essentially what it created was a booming commercial center. I want to show you just a few more pictures. Uh, First of all, this is the isthmus. And so from this... uh, Scene. I think you can see the little land bridge between the, the left and the right, right? Hope we're, yeah. So to the left there, there's water. To the right there, there's water. It's not very long, but that's a, a picture. If we move on to the next slide, what you see is that this is a, a picture of an ancient road. And so what they tried to do was to create a, a bit of a canal so that those ships coming in from the east and those ships coming in from the west could pass through, and they wouldn't have to go all the way around southern Greece. You want to know how long it took them to do that? About 1,800 years. <laughs> so for about 1,800 years, what traders used was this road. Instead of the canal, they essentially drug their boats. Now, most of them were relatively small. You could drag or push your boat on this road that you see if you wanted to go uh, from the east to the west, from one port to another. And it created all sorts of industry. Uh, The next slide you see is a picture of what is called the Agora. It's essentially the city's commercial marketplace. So think downtown Chicago, right? The place where transactions happen, the place where business is booming. If you wanted to sell or buy something, you would go to the local marketplace. And so it was a booming local marketplace. So all that to say is the first thing that characterized the city is that it was wealthy. And not only was it wealthy, but there was opportunity. There was opportunity to to make wealth. There was opportunity to make money. And all of that created a bit of a caste system, a bit of a system to where there were these people who had less money and then more money and then more money. And you could move up the economic scale. And uh, from what I read, people were very caught up in classes and wanting to move up the economic scale. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like a culture and a place that we live? Quite possibly. Uh, Not only was it wealthy, 
But second, it was independent. Uh, There was a great spirit of independence, and here's the reason why. The city of Corinth was a Roman colony, which meant that it could govern itself. So, in other words, other colonies under Roman rule were directly governed by the Romans, but some cities that were colonies could rule themselves. So they were self-governing, they were independent to some degree, and that led to civic pride. The Corinthians were very proud to be Corinthians, right? Does that sound familiar? Very proud to be Corinthians because they were independent. This led to a sense of self-reliance. So you can make yourself, you uh, relied upon your own uh, resources. And it also led to a culture that was, quite frankly, just very selfish. So uh, there was wealth, there was independence. Uh, Thirdly, there was what I would call culture. Uh, Culture. What was the culture uh, of the city? Well, what I mean by that was that city... Uh, it was that the city of Corinth, excuse me, uh, how, how shall I say it? It liked its art. It cared about sports. It cared about literature. It cared also about uh, oratory, about speech. So it wasn't just a, a kind of a, a poorly educated culture or city. There were uh, well-educated people. They liked their arts. They liked their sports. Uh, history tells us that they hosted uh, what were similar to the Olympic Games. However, those were held in Athens. Uh, they had something called the Isthmian Games. And if you look at the next slide, what you see here is the starting gates. So if you were running a race, um, these were ancient starting gates. You see the kind of the, the wooden pegs going up, and you see that little hole there, right? Well, the way it worked was that there was a wooden stick attached to a rope that held the runners back until the start. Then a man that was essentially standing in that pit would let go of the ropes, and the sticks fell, and the runners would take off, right? And so this was a huge deal. Uh, world-class athletes would come to Corinth every two years to train and to participate in these cultural games. So uh, it it was into its sports, but it was also uh, into oration, into literature, into words. In fact, it was a hot destination for traveling professional speakers. They still had them in those days. Yes, professional speakers, and they would come to the city because people love to hear people talk, and they love to hear uh, cleverly arranged speeches. They love to hear a good speaker. Who doesn't, right? And so what these speakers would do is they would charge a fee to come to their conference to be entertained and to learn maybe a new skill. And then sometimes, if you were good enough, these speakers would gather disciples, kind of groups of people who would follow them around. So the city was known for its wealth. It was known for a spirit of independence. It was known for culture, right? Starting to sound like a familiar culture to you? Number four, it was known for uh, immorality. It was known for immorality. Most of the time when you hear the word Corinth, you think of immorality. Uh, So essentially, uh, one uh, Greek philosopher, I can't pronounce his name, so I won't even try. He coined the phrase to act like a Corinthian or to play the part of a Corinthian. And that essentially meant to commit fornication, to commit sexual sin. So to to act like a Corinthian means that you were sexually permissive. So it was such an immoral city that it was associated with sexual immorality. In fact, uh, there was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love, that stood on top of an approximately 1,900-foot high mountain. I think we see a picture there. Uh, This is standing on the top of the mountain where the temple of Aphrodite would have would have stood. If we go to the next slide, there's another picture. Up in the background, you see that mountain? That's where the temple 
would have, uh, would have been. That's from the Agora looking up, right? And so you see that there was this temple on this high, high mountain, and uh, it was the temple of love. So what do you think happened on the temple of love? Well, all sorts of immorality. Uh, legend or history tells us that at any one time, there might have been upwards of 1,000 female prostitutes uh, that helped people worship uh, in the temple. So what did we learn about the culture? What do we know about this city that the Christians were living in? It was extremely wealthy. There was a, caste, a, a class system. It was independent. It was prideful. It was selfish. They enjoyed arts. They enjoyed or- oration. Uh, and they were generally very, very immoral. So let me ask you again. Does that sound like a culture you're familiar with? Does that sound like maybe a culture here in America? I think that if I were just reading these characteristics to you and I didn't tell you what it was for, you might guess that that was describing our culture, right? To some degree or to a large degree. And so as we get into this book, what I want you to know is that when Paul addresses the issues, when Paul talks about how this culture has creeped into the church, my suggestion to you is that this culture is very much like our culture. And how that culture crept into the church then is how this culture creeps into the church now. Does that make sense? Very similar. So that's what we're going to see. So we've seen a little bit about the city, but what about the church? What about the church? Well, let's move now to talk a little bit about what we know about the church there in Corinth. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What I want to do is just talk about a quick overview. What's the main um, sections? What's, What's the structure of this book? What does Paul go about talking about? How does he address how this culture has influenced this church? Well, the epistle begins, of course, in chapter 1, verse 1, and it begins with a greeting. And if you got the video that I sent out via email last week, I talked a little bit about this greeting, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But Paul has a greeting, a very pretty typical greeting, and it's, it's pretty positive. He encourages the church, and what he does is he says, act in line with who you are. God has called you to be saints. He's called you to be Christians. He has set you apart to himself, and that means living a, a certain way. And he says, I'm going to be encouraging you to do that. In verses 1 through 9, this is the beginning of the letter. So let's read that together. It's not on the screen. Look in the Bible on your lap. Verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Susthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those, notice, how does he describe them? To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, that is, they're set apart and called to be his holy people. So they're set apart by Jesus Christ, by their faith in Jesus. And because they're set apart in their faith in Jesus, what are they called to be? Holy, right? They have faith in Christ, so their actions are to be in line with their calling, is what he says. Together with all of those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because his grace... Uh, because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. What he's saying is, listen, you're Christians. I know that you're Christians because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You have these wonderful gifts, and God confirmed that you were genuine believers. Verse 7, Therefore, 
you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Essentially what Paul says is is that, listen, God has begun this work in you and he's going to be faithful He's going to be faithful to bring it about. So the beginning of this letter is strong on God's sovereignty. God has called you. You placed your faith in Jesus. He started this work, this Christian life, and he's going to complete it. It's strong in sovereignty, but the rest of the epistle is strong in responsibility. Because the rest of the book, he's going to say, this is what you have to do to be a holy people, okay? So that's the very beginning of this book. Uh, From there on, the structure of the book is pretty easy. It's very easy. It's, uh, it's an occasional letter, which means Paul addresses topics. So unlike many of his other letters, which can be kind of hard to understand where he's going and where he's been, this is very bullet point. Boom, 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 boom. You know when he's transitioning. You know what he's talking about. It's very subject-oriented. And so essentially, chapters 1 through 6, Paul goes about correcting behavior. In chapters 1 through 6, he corrects the behavior of the Corinthians that he heard about. Uh, we see, we'll see this next week, but uh, there was a lady by the name of Chloe. We don't know much about her, but somehow she got word to Paul about what was going on in the church, and it was bad. Okay, So Chloe is telling Paul, this is what's going on in the church. And so Paul writes this letter, Chloe told me what you guys are doing. Stop it, stop it, stop it, and stop it. Okay, He's going he's gonna to address these issues in, in, in chapters 1 through 6. But then for the, the second half of the letter, verses, uh, chapters 7 through 16, uh, he's going to respond to some questions. And so not only did he get a report about them, but they had actually written a letter to him. He was their founding pastor. So they, had, they wanted to know things. They had questions. So you couldn't just email them back then. You had to actually write. And so they wrote the letter to Paul, and Paul got the letter. And so the first half of the book, he's like, I've heard what you're doing. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. The second half of the book is, these are the questions you had, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Let me answer them for you. So it's simple. It's very, uh, very topical, uh, for lack of a better word. So let me ask you a question. We learned about the, the city, right? And we learned about the culture, it was very wealthy. It was very proud. It was very independent, right? It was very culture-oriented. They loved language. They loved arts. They loved their games, right? Uh, they loved their wonderful speakers. It was very immoral. What kind of, uh, what kind of problems might that culture uh, present to the church? What might Paul go about correcting if this kind of a culture was being manifested in the church? Well, let me, let me just kind of walk you through what Paul is going to say. Do you expect, might you expect that there would be divisions in this church? Would you expect that people would be arrogant and proud and causing all sorts of selfish uh, divisions, that there might be power plays and politics? Would you expect this church to have that kind of a thing? Well, that's exactly what we see. And in chapter 1, running through chapter 4, for some three chapters... We're going to see this. The sermon will be called Partitions, Power Plays, and Politics. And Paul is going to address the divisions that were so prevalent in this church. Well, what else would you expect? Would you expect uh, those uh, Christians, uh, some of them to be in what I would call gross, uh, blatant sexual sin? 
This was a hypersexual culture. Would you expect some of them to be in gross sexual sin? Oh, for instance, like somebody having an affair with his stepmom? That's exactly what you find out. And so Paul addresses uh, this uh, in chapters 5 and 6. Also, would you expect uh, that out of those church fights that maybe there could even be lawsuits? Do you think it's possible for a person sitting on this side of the pew to sue somebody sitting on this side of the pew and still go to church together? Well, that's what's happening. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they're suing each other, and so Paul goes about addressing that. Do you think it's possible that uh, some, of the, some of the Christians might be going to the temple of Aphrodite? Do you think it's just possible that maybe they came from a pagan background and they just well, they, they kept going, right? And they kept uh, having involvement with prostitutes? Yep. That's exactly what Paul is going to address in our sermon, License, Litigation, and Lust, chapters 5 and 6. That's exactly what Paul covers. Uh, moving on, do you, would you expect that in such a hypersexual culture uh, that there would be confusion among the Christians about the, the topic of marriage? In that kind of a culture, would it be hard to have a healthy biblical marriage? Yeah, it, it would be. Uh, and so in chapter 7 in our sermon, All Things Matrimony, Paul essentially addresses a whole slew of issues relating to marriage. He addresses marriage, divorce, singleness, chastity. He addresses all sorts of issues relating to marriage. Um, Moving on. Do you think that these Christians, seeing as how they are generally selfish and self-willed, do you think that they would take issues in the church... Issues that were legitimately gray issues, that is, it's not right, it's not wrong, it's a matter of preference. And do you think that they would push to have their way? Do you think that they would push to have their way on those gray issues and say, I don't care how it affects you, I'm going to do what I want to do on this issue? Do you think that would happen? That's exactly what happens. And so they take issues that are not biblical at all, and they say, we have to do it my way. And it caused fights. That's exactly what we see happening in chapters 8 through 11. And our sermon called The Gray, Exercising Christian Freedom. We're going to talk about that. Paul's going to address this very, really important issue. How do we as Christians get along with each other on issues that are gray? There are gray issues. How do we get along? Well, we're going to address that. Would you expect that the Corinthian culture would uh, find its way even into the regular Sunday morning gatherings? Do you think that this kind of culture would affect how they did church, how they did Sunday morning? Uh, It did. And so in our sermon series, a sermon called Submission and Snobbery, Proper Practices in Worship, Paul is going to really tackle a couple issues. He's going to speak to women uh, in that church that were pushing for power. They were pushing for power. And uh, he's going to address issues that were going on during communion. Uh, they did communion a little differently back then. They would uh, get together, and they would have a, a meal together. They would eat, and uh, they would take the bread, and they would drink the wine. And wouldn't you know it, people were getting drunk. Yep, drunkenness at church. People getting drunk from the communion wine. Not good. So Paul is going to address that as well. Uh, so let me ask you this. In a church that's this way, that's affected by this culture, Do you think that there would be some confusion over the use of spiritual gifts? Do you think they might get it wrong? Do you think they might need some some help uh, exercising their spiritual gifts? 
Well, most certainly uh, they do. And so in chapters 12 through 14 in our sermon, Spiritual Gifts, their need, their motive, and their use, he's going to address the use of particular spiritual gifts in the church. And surprise, surprise, we find out that some of them were using their spiritual gifts not to serve the body, but to promote themselves. And he's going to address that. Finally, in chapter 15, let me ask you a, a quick question. Do you think that a church that behaves the way we've seen them behave, that is so influenced by the culture as we've seen, do you think they, get all of their, they would get all of their doctrine right? Do you think that they would have all their T's crossed and their I's dotted? Or do you think that maybe some of the orators that went into town, maybe some of the, the really good speakers might have influenced their thinking, might have influenced their doctrine? Is that possible? Yep. It's possible, and in uh, chapter 15, Paul addresses it. And in our sermon, Doctrinal Delusion, the Need for Theology, Paul is going to correct one particular errant belief, uh, and that is that they were saying there's no resurrection from the dead. And you may say, oh, okay, there's not a resurrection from the dead. Why is that any big deal? And Paul is essentially going to say, well, if people can't be raised from the dead then what happened with Jesus? Remember that guy, Jesus, that you follow and and love and believe in? What about him? And so he's going to address the need for right theology. And so uh, this is where we're going. We've looked at the church, and uh, for about seven or eight weeks, we're going to look at how the city has influenced the church. Um, I think one, uh, one author summarizes what's going on here very well. He, he summarizes the influence of the Corinthian culture uh, on the church really well. And this is what he has to say. He says, Corinth was a very cosmoto- cosmopolitan place. It was an important city. It was intellectually alert. It was materially prosperous. But it was morally corrupt. There, there was a pronounced tendency for its inhabitants, hear this, to indulge the desires, their desires in whatever form. He says, the idea of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual. Do you hear that? To be a Corinthian was to recklessly develop the individual. Does that sound familiar? The merchant who made his gain by all and every means, the man of pleasure surrounding himself, uh, surrendering himself to every lust, the athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his physical strength and the true Corinthian types. In a word, in a word was the man who recognized no superior and no law but his own desires. Did you, did you catch that? It was the man who recognized no superior and no law but his own desires. Does that not describe our culture, church? Does that not describe how our culture wants us to be? That's exactly how the culture at Corinth wanted them to be. So the question really then becomes, how do we interact with the culture? How do we know what to say no to and and, and what to say yes to in the culture? Well, my prayer is that this sermon series will, will help us very much. I want to I close with a story. And it's a story told by uh, the late American preacher Donald Barnhouse. He, he tells this story, and so I'd like to read it to you. He says, Many years ago in London, uh, there were musicians that worked uh, in and around uh, the famous Westminster Abbey. And those, those musicians noticed something odd. 
they noticed that uh, the Aaron boys in those days, they would deliver messages all across the city, uh, often whistled while they worked. And when they were whistling, delivering uh, the messages around this Westminster Abbey, uh, the musicians noticed that these Aaron boys were whistling off tune. And so they got together and they started talking about it. What's going on? Why are all these Aaron boys whistling off tune? And uh, the conclusion was drawn that the bells of the Westminster Church were slightly out of tune. Of course, that's what they were hearing all the time, was the church playing its song from the bells, and they were slightly out of tune, and they unconsciously copied the wrong pitch. Barnhouse applies it to us. He says, God has given us his word, which is the absolute pitch of life and living. If we learn to sing by it, we shall easily detect the false in all of the music of the world. And that's what I hope 1 Corinthians will help us do. And so I want to close by asking, whose pitch are you singing by? What pitch are you listening to? Is it the churches? Is it God's? Or is it the culture's? Let's pray. Father, we anticipate uh, what you may do in our lives through this sermon series in the upcoming weeks. We pray that you would, even now, Holy Spirit, be working on us, be showing us, and, and be making us ready to hear the areas in which we have allowed culture to influence us in a way that is wrong, in a way that is sinful. Uh, Maybe it's attitudes that we have. Maybe it's relationships that we have. Maybe it's actions that we have. Um, would Would you cause us to be willing to hear and to be able to to understand that your word is the pitch by which we live our lives. And if we're singing out of tune, so to speak, then would you reveal that to us? Because we want to be people who follow you, who sing in your tune according to your pitch. And so give us grace, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus Christ, whom we love and whom we follow, who caused us to be born again by our personal faith in his life, in our place, his death for our sins, and his resurrection that infuses us with new and eternal life. It's for that Jesus that we ask it, in whose name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Guys, thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday. And uh, join us for, for lunch next Sunday and for the start of the series. Thanks.